Yo, what is up, people? COVID-19, man, it's been going on for a little while now. Hopefully by the time you listen to this, COVID-19 is over. Not because it's that far away from when I recorded it, but because it will be done soon. Honestly, we don't know for sure. There's a lot of guesses in any direction. But what is cool is seeing all the content skydivers are creating. I'm definitely seeing numbers go down on what we've done, and I've talked to other content providers, and I've looked at numbers other places, and a lot of the the established content uh, creators have seen numbers go down, but because there's so much other cool shit out there, and I really appreciate and love seeing all these resources, and I'm excited to see what sticks around and what doesn't afterwards. One of the neat resources I actually got to work with just a little bit, Mr. Lot, my partner in crime, got to work with a lot is eSkydiving.com. You guys should check it out. eSkydiving, eSkydiving.com is actually powered by Skydive Spaceland, so it's kind of where we got our affiliation to eSkydiving. <clears throat> but really cool thing they've done is they've put an online school to help people stay current. Uh, they decided to go ahead and launch a completely free basic refresher video course. I believe, if I remember right, there are six videos. Mr. P, Nick Law actually produced those videos. You'll see a good buddy of mine, a member of the Rating Center, Chris Fudala, actually uh, teaching and, and instructing in those. And I did a little consulting behind the scenes, staying at home and being corona-free. <clears throat> As I clear my throat over and over again, yeah. <clears throat> I promise it's not the corona bug. Anyways... It is super cool. It's out there. The videos are great. These are going to help jumpers of all levels. If you're new, if you're experienced, if you've been around forever, if it's just something new to you, uh, there is good information in there for you. Definitely check it out. It is free right now. At some point, I'm sure uh, East Skydiving will become a paid resource, a paid thing. But I do know during COVID-19 and during all these skydivers being on the ground, Skydive Spaceland and eSkydiving.com is going to be a free resource. And uh, they'll keep pushing content out there. Check it out. Take the video or watch the video courses. Take the test. It doesn't take much time. Some videos are five minutes, some are 15 minutes. The test, man, it didn't take me very long at all. Check it out. Thank you to Skydive Spaceland for pumping out content, pumping out information, helping us stay current, helping us stay fresh on our brains. Thanks to all those other guys and gals putting out super, super fresh stuff out there. Really cool to see the skydiving community support each other. Tonight's guest is another stay your ass at home edition of Gravity Lab Radio. Our guest tonight is a, a, a buddy of Nick Lott's. I've got to meet Dusty Hanks, super, super nice guy. But really, uh, him and Nick Lott go back quite a bit. So Nick will be taking the lead. He'll be taking the charge on this. We'll be starting up in the next 15 or 20 minutes. So uh, enjoy the show. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You are listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Yo, what's up, guys and gals? It's DJ Marvin, Gravity Lab Radio. What's up, Nick Lott? We're live. What's going on, gentlemen? How are you? Doing good, man. We have joining us tonight, Mr. Dusty Hanks. Dusty, how have you been, buddy? Uh, doing good, guys. Good to good to see you guys, and good to be here. So uh, I'm, I'm. I mean, it's impossible to not have the first of the conversation be about quarantine and about this whole pandemic that's going on. <laughs> I know what I've been doing to keep myself from losing my mind. Dusty, what have you been up to? Um, you know, the the kids are homeschooling. So that takes up a lot of the time. 
Okay. Um, so how, how involved are you in their homeschooling? Does that mean they're just on their computers or are you actually teaching them stuff? Uh, no, my wife actually uh, does that part of the job. She gets in with the school group and uh, the Zoom calls and, and helps out with all that. So luckily I'm not a big part of that. I'm more uh, entertaining and, and playing with Kayla and watching the dog and the cat, to be honest. <laughs> How so compared to like what they would normally spend in a regular school day, like as far as how many hours they'd be at school, is it comparable or is it is it less time that they're spending during doing the homeschool stuff? Um, unfortunately, I think the schools were not prepared for this. And so right. I feel like it's quite a bit less, uh, at least for Cole. He's my 12 year old. Um, he's in sixth grade. And so I think it's probably less. But uh, for Aiden, he's uh a 10th grader and and definitely more in depth and so that they're able to give them more work so he's in 10th grade 10th grade man man when we so we have a little bit of history i used to live in utah where you live and when i when that was you know i moved away eight years ago and so to think about your kid being in the 10th grade i like in my head he's the same age as when i moved away yeah, it's crazy. He's a, he's definitely a young adult and growing up. He's he's driving. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Oh man, driving. is that uh, scary for you? Um, you know I I think it's essential, and I think uh, every kid needs to learn how to drive. So you got to let them out on the road and let them uh, let them learn from their mistakes. So. Well, you definitely have a beautiful family. I want to talk about your, your kids a little bit later when we get into some, some other stuff. When, when I was coming up with uh, the description of, of kind of who you are to, to put it out for, to, to advertise the show, I realized that there's a lot of stuff on the list. Like uh, I thought about I fly Utah camps and then thought about, well, he is on SEC core and, oh, he does all these crazy demos. And uh, there was a lot of cool stuff to talk about. But I wanted to start with uh, with iFly Utah and the, and the tunnel camps that you guys do there. Is that still pretty much your your full time? Uh, yeah, man, that's my full time job there. Um, we have a great crew. Uh, we've obviously been able to surround ourselves with amazing people. Uh, I've been there for thirteen years, and you know we're, we're still running strong, and we're running camps every month, and uh, still getting people from all around the world to come and fly with us. So. So how did uh, you've been at the Utah Tunnel since the very beginning, right? Yes. How how would you describe that tunnel when it first opened? Uh, you know, in the beginning, um, we're in Ogden, Utah, so it's it's not a very heavily populated area. So, man, the first couple of years were were pretty slim. Uh, not a lot of students. Not a lot of people knew that we were in Utah. Um, that we had a tunnel in Utah, so. It was pretty slow, and and uh, then we started kind of picking up and getting our name out there, and and building up a crew, and and uh, had a lot of good um, word of mouth referrals to send people to us, and and from there it just kind of exploded. So how how busy is the tunnel now compared to like those those first few years? Uh, we're extremely busy. Um, we do anywhere from 80 to 120 hours of coaching a month um, on top of first time flyers. And uh, so I'm on the phone all the time, selling tunnel time, uh, booking camps. And 
we have a great crew and, and we, we all work really well together. So what, what's an hour of coach time going for these days? At Utah, we're, uh, we're 780 an hour. Uh, that's coached. Uh -huh. Um, we do have a week pass, uh, that is, uh, Five ninety nine an hour. You got to buy six six hours at five ninety nine an hour. That's coached. Uh -huh. uh, Thirty seven forty five for five hours coached, and that time never expires. Or you can buy a ten hour deal at uh, six thousand nine ninety, and you can share those blocks of times. The only one you can't share uh, time with is the six day pass. Man, that's pretty awesome. Let's say yeah. let's say that for me it's more economical to travel to Utah to, to do this tunnel time at such a cheap rate with such an awesome staff of coaches. What, where do I stay if I'm going to make this trip? Um, so actually I have a house that I bought. Um, it's a skydiver house. So it's a six bedroom, three bathroom house. Um, I, I used to have a condo that we stay, uh, had everybody stay at. So there's places to stay. There's Airbnb. Some people like to be right, right beside us in the hotel. Um, plenty of places to stay. How, how many, like how much time does, does your average like tunnel camp participant come in and do? Yeah. Yeah. So most people um, are buying about five hours or 10 hours each. <laughs> um, they basically people, I mean, people show up only knowing how to belly fly. Um, and by the time they're done with us with five or 10 hours, most of them are sit flying head down transitioning and just kind of depends on each person. Cause they all progress at their own pace. And, mm -hmm. uh, so they, it's awesome. It's awesome to watch. So do you have like a, a philosophy of how you teach people, like how your coaching goes, like how strong of a belly flyer does someone need to be before they go to back flying? And then back flying to sit flying and all that. Like, how, how do you how do you work that progression? You know, I think at IFI Utah, we've kind of built up a reputation of, of pushing our students hard and fast. Um, we don't think perfection comes uh, before you can move on. And so it, it, we make that judgment call as far as if they're being safe and have the fundamentals, then we push them on to something harder. And so we, we move people pretty quick um from belly to back and then also from back to sit and sit to head down so we, we push people hard and fast i've it blows me away how fast people can learn when you give them uh the correct wind speed and give them the opportunity to progress fast so it, let's let's say i'm i love utah like i miss it so much i didn't yeah. realize how much fun there was to have outside in, in utah what uh what else is in Ogden? Let's say let's say you're gonna let, I mean I know all these answers obviously because I live there and spent a bunch of time, bunch of tunnel time. I'm just I I miss it so much and I love to brag about Utah. I'm just trying to give you an opportunity to to, to talk up how great the, the city of Ogden is and the state of Utah is. So like when, when people come to visit, what other stuff is there to do outside? Well, obviously we have two amazing drop zones, uh Skydive Utah and Skydive Ogden. Um, little drop zones, you know, comparably, uh, but we have amazing speed flying, base jumping, paragliding, mountain biking, skiing, snowboarding. Uh, the mountains are right there. Uh, you know, you can take a drive for 20 minutes and you're on top of a mountain up by a snow basin. So, um, lakes, reservoirs, stuff to go out in the boats. 
uh, paddle boarding, all that good stuff. So it's a, it's a really um, outdoor state. Everybody loves it. Rock yeah, climbing. See, when you when you are born in Utah and you grow up there for the first like 26 years of your life, you don't realize that all that cool stuff like <laughs> isn't everywhere, you know? Like yeah, yeah. It, living in Salt Lake Valley, it's like a 20 minute drive. You're in the, in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. It's some beautiful place. And unless you're into swamps, that is not a thing in Houston. <laughs> DJ, what, what's the last thing you did outside in the Houston area? Oh, besides Scott, I've Brazos Bend State Park, maybe the park up in uh, Memorial. But I mean, they're they're nothing, man. What Dodge a couple been, alligators. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I've never seen like a wild alligator aside from like the you know some of the bigger ones that make their way into the pond at, at the drop zone that come across the street. But like, have you seen those like really giant <laughs> alligators that live out there? Dude, I almost, uh, Val and I, when we first moved to Houston, ran, uh, took a ride out at Brazos Bend a couple of times and almost ran over when it was almost sunset. It's getting dark on the trail. We're like, hey, let's go on this back trail and just stupid, dude. Like, I'm, I'm a, I shouldn't have been back there. I'm afraid of alligators. I rode off that. <laughs> it was not a good day. So, now what kind yeah. of uh, animals and critters are in Utah? Um, I mean, obviously we've got rattlesnakes. Um, there's, there's yeah. deer, there's, uh, man, I, to be honest, uh, I'm not, I'm not a big wild guy. So did, did, did you ever get into, into hunting dusty? You ever, you ever do that? Man, I never did. I, uh, I think I went hunting once when I was like 12. Um, huh. my, my brother and my dad are big hunters. I grew up on a farm. We have elk and deer around our house all the time. Um, I just never got into it. I was, I was racing motocross and skiing and doing other stuff. So yeah. Yeah. If you had a chance to go on a hunt, would you? I, now I would for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, definitely getting older and, and wanting to experience other things. And, uh, I'd, I'd love to now. Yeah. Man, I feel like I totally missed out on that. Like when I was young, I was vegan for a super long time, you know, like I was super like animal rights, hunting is wrong. Eating animals is wrong. Don't do that guys. <laughs> and now it's like, Oh, well, I mean, I still agree with a lot of the thoughts that I had about like the way that animals are treated and like factory farming operations. I still don't think that that's good. Yeah. I don't think those, those animals are healthy. That's not the sort of meat that I choose to eat, but that's super different from hunting, right? Like hunting an animal that lives in the wild, that's had a good life and that you're doing it in a, in a sustainable way. Like I, I, I wish I had taken advantage of that when I lived in, in Utah. I mean, we can, I, I think you could probably hunt alligators here. You can definitely hunt wild <laughs> pigs here in Texas. You can hunt wild pigs from a helicopter and you don't even have to go get the bodies. You can just kill them and leave them because they're just a super, super destructive invasive species. Are those, are those wild pigs? Are they, are they good eating or no? I've heard mixed reviews. I haven't eaten them myself, but I've heard that the that the younger ones are pretty delicious, but they huh. eat garbage, like literal garbage. They will eat anything. So the huh. older ones who have been eating garbage all their lives, I've heard that they don't taste good, but yeah. haven't haven't had it for myself. I don't know. DJ, have you had any of those hogs? Have you had have you had a bite? I have no, I have not. I've been at a San Marcos. They used to actually at Old Scott I've San Marcos sit out there on the weekdays and shoot the hogs out there and cook them every so often. I don't know if you know uh, the name Eric Butts, and I heard from all the guys out there it was great. You cooked a great hog, but I heard that trash thing too. So I've always avoided eating mm -hmm. trash hog. It just <laughs> makes me nervous. 
So buddies visiting from out of town, man, the, some of the engineers at LMB when they were here for PIA, that's one of the first things they hit me up for is like, yo, man, we want to go on a hog hunt. I'm like, that's what we're known for. Hog hunt. Yeehaw. Yeah. I got the hat for it. Yeah. I don't know if you met my friend, Steve Schlenzig. He's a computer programmer. He, he designed the uh, software that we used to edit tandem video. Um, the company that he owns part of in uh, Germany, is actually a medical imaging company. And, um, so they're really good with, with imaging technology. Two of the three owners are skydivers. So they also developed uh, tandem editing software, but in Germany, they don't have the right to bear arms. Right. He told me that he had shot a rifle. He shot three rounds out of a 22 rifle when he was, uh, he had 22s, just like those, (laughs) those serious guns you're packing there, DJ. And so when he was, (laughs) when he was young, he shot these three rounds and had never shot a gun uh, besides. So when he was in town visiting, I took him to the shooting range and oh man, it was so great to see how much he loved shooting that we, we took, um, just my, uh, like 40 caliber pistol and he was having so much fun and he's just a super smart, like over analytical person. And so he was taking all of the coaching, like, really seriously like any advice that i had for him and it wasn't very long before he was shooting my gun better than me and i was like oh yeah you you better take it easy buddy this is a little bit too much for you go back to germany (laughs) so we talked a little bit about uh about how the utah tunnel was at at the beginning kind of those slow couple years which i think is pretty neat and says a lot for you guys who who work there most tunnels open up and they're super busy for those couple years and then they have a hard time figuring out how to, how to sustain after that. What, what do you think was different? I mean, wh- why is Utah different? Why have you guys been able to, to figure this out? Um, you know, we, back in the day, um, Devin Roan and myself, Devin was working at the tunnel at the time. And, uh, and we sat down and we decided, you know, if we're going to make a living at this, we got to find a way to, to coach. And, um, Jason Russell and staff actually brought a camp from Colorado. They came over from Colorado and brought a camp to us uh, for them. And I, we watched them and, and kind of saw what they did. And as soon as they left, we're like, that's what we got to do. And, and so um, we started sitting down and brainstorming on what we want to do and how, 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 how we can build it. And uh, so that was, a, that was a really good opportunity to watch you know, a couple of people that had been in the tunnel industry a little bit longer than us, you know, how they were doing things. Um, and we all, as coaches, we all do things a little bit differently, but, um, you know, the big thing that Devin and I wanted to do was to push students to progress super fast. So they'll go home and say, Hey, or, you know, not, not even go talk to anybody, but just go fly. And people ask them, you know, where did you go? Where did you go to learn? And they say I fly Utah, and uh, so that was our that was our big our big thing was to, you know, push people as super super hard, super fast, and make them uh, good flyers as quickly as possible. Did you say the tunnel's been open thirteen years? Is that what I heard you say? Thirteen years, man, dude, that is insane. It's gone by quick. Well, I'm I, curious I still... about... Oh, go ahead. I'm curious about fast progressions. I, I'm a huge advocate of progress people as quickly as they safely can. I I love the, our old school thought processes, man. We'd still be jumping around parachutes. We'd still be doing things (laughs) completely different. 
And, and yeah. a lot of people are afraid to innovate and push that future. My real question is how have you guys balanced being that aggressive with safety? What do you like, what things do you keep in mind? So the unique thing at IFA Utah is um, we coach together. It's a coaching team. And so it doesn't matter if I'm driving the tunnel, if I'm in the, in the wind with the student or where, what I'm doing, uh, we're all coaching as a team together uh, no matter what. And so we're all taking a cut of the coaching at all times. Um, and so we all, as the driver, we um, stay really focused and, and make sure the wind speeds are correct, turn the wind speeds up or down as quickly as possible for safety. Uh, we always have two coaches in the tunnel. Um, and so if we need to do transitions or something, we have two people in there. Uh, we're all level four instructors. Um, the, the, the crazy thing about IFA Utah is like myself, I've been there 13 years. Um, all my instructors, anywhere from six to eight years of experience. And so, and it's not just experience of taking first time flyers, but we're coaching a hundred hours a month. So we, we know what to look for. We know how to correct things. Um, and we know how to push people safely. And so good judgment calls, you know, like making really good judgment calls as far as when, when to move somebody on the next step. I think uh, an easy way to say it is your staff's invested, man. I, I like the way you describe it. They're yeah. financially invested by actually being part of the team. And, and ultimately they're emotionally invested because they want the team. Like, I'm not trying to outsell you as a coach. I'm not trying to outperform you as a coach. I'm not trying. It, we are all in the same great cause together and we all care about it together. So I like that group motivation. It's a cool yeah, way to do it. Man. It, it's such an amazing crew that we have and uh, we work so well together and uh, it's, it's, it's awesome for the student and it's, it's, it's awesome for us. And it's crazy to see how fast you guys really can move someone up to, to flying head down. Like I remember when that tunnel first started, I remember <laughs> you, you were there and you were one of the few people that was good enough at free flying in the sky that like fly, you flying on your head in the tunnel wasn't that huge of a deal. And date was Davey there too, Davey Manning. Do I remember that? Dave, yeah, Davey and Flammer were both there. Yeah, but dude, I remember it was the tunnel had been open for quite a while before I saw any new tunnel flyers transition to their head. Like I'm talking about, it was like months and <laughs> months. Like I rem I remember when Devin Rome, dude. I remember the first time, like he and I kind of started going to the tunnel at the same time, and then he started going a little bit more than I did, and then he started working there. <laughs> And then after he started working there, he's, I remember there was a day that he's like, did I show you that thing I could do? And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And then he goes <laughs> in the tunnel and he, and he pops onto his head and, and turns and looks at me through the glass. And I was like, oh my God, like someone I know has figured this out. It's possible. It's possible for me. <laughs> I, I spent like two hours on the net doing nothing. Like I just couldn't, I just couldn't figure it out. And I think well, that, that. That was part of, that was part of back then like that's all we knew is keep people on the net you know yeah that was my point is no one really knew how to teach it yet right yeah and you know now students show up at our tunnel and as soon as we have them on the net within 10 or 15 minutes they're coming up off the net with us and uh getting real wind speeds and feeling the wind in the correct spots and we're keeping them safe so what's your favorite part about being a tunnel coach what do you like what's kept you doing it for so long you know i I love seeing people get excited about learning a new skill it, by far, you know, like 
Um, I kind of thought maybe I'd get burned out after 13 years, but uh, I still enjoy watching people, you know, that aha moment and when it clicks and something makes sense now after I told them a thousand times what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I love seeing it and uh, it's awesome. I mean, there's so many good flyers out there and, um, you know, the students can become a teacher, you know, they're going to teach us down the road. So it's, it's super awesome. I love, I love the excitement. How is it? I think this is a good time to talk about your, uh, your boys flying in the tunnel, your kids. Yeah. yeah. Which, which um, uh, it, it seems like, is it Aiden who, who spent more time there? No, Cole, Cole's actually got some more tunnel time now. Cole's um, got more time. Yeah. Aiden's 16 and he's really big into wrestling and uh, weightlifting. I'm actually sitting in our, in our little home gym right now. And this is where we nice. work out. Getting um, jacks? Were you, were you, uh, were you getting your, your sweat on before we started the podcast? <laughs> no, every morning were, I tried. You were, you were looking a little thick there. I'm just, okay. just I'm trying, man. I'm trying, <laughs> trying to keep up with my young man. Um, but Cole, Cole, he loves flying in the tunnel. And, uh, I think Aiden's kind of moved on from that for now. So, uh, okay. so Cole's flying in the tunnel a little bit. Um, but not as much as they used to, you know, they, like, they used to come up and fly quite a bit. And Cole has, he, he was in gymnastics for seven years. Um, mm -hmm. He skateboards a lot now. He's gaming a lot. Uh, and the tunnel's an hour away. And so it's like, it's kind of a project to get the kids up there. So he flies, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit every month, but not as much as he'd like to. So, Man, what would that be like to have a dad who's got to like try and bully you to come learn from these world-class <laughs> tunnel flyers? <laughs> what a well, life. yeah they got it they got it pretty good i think sometimes so so you you uh you did some other sports before you got into skydiving and tunnel flying right you kind of briefly mentioned about uh motocross i, rem I remember that a little bit yeah yeah um and i raced i think motocross I, I raced for about just over 10 years um skied since i was four i think i mean it's kind of normal i think for most of us like my teammate Jason Russell raced motocross. I know MX and Travis and all these other guys that have had dirt bikes and raced. And so I think we've all, you know, before we got into skydiving, you know, uh, entertained ourselves with uh, different uh, crazy sports out there, right? So I want to take a second. Them. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to take a second and go back to your kids. First of all, just because everybody knows Mama Donna. Donna G keeps chirping over here. Uh, <laughs> loves everybody, misses everybody. Donna. Uh, this is Texas. So, Donna, what's up? Awesome dad uh, is something she said to you. But uh, your kids, I, you actually, I think you watched a little bit of Melissa Nelson's uh, interview and, and us talking about oh, yeah. her kid jumping. And you took your kids to jump uh, with Ben as well. I did. Um, I took them when – uh, Cole was 10 years old and, uh, it was kind of funny cause he was on a break from gymnastics cause he broke his leg. And so the, vi the video, like he healed up enough and the video is funny cause he's going out to the plane with Ben and he has his crutches going out to the plane and then I grab his crutches <laughs> and then we get in the plane and we go make a skydive. So, uh, Cole has actually made five tandems and, uh, Aiden's made one and, we're planning on going back as soon as this crazy virus goes away and we're going to do some more. So, uh, so you've Cole, jumped Cole with your son. It. 
I did. Yeah, both of them. It was awesome. I was able to go out and experience that with them and film them and uh, share that moment with them in the sky. So it was, it was some of the best jumps I've ever had. Badass. I, I've got to know what your nerves are like in that moment as, as a highly experienced skydiving dad being with your young kid on their first tandem. What do you feel on that jump? Man, to be honest, you know, like Ben is so professional. I've known him for a long time. I've known Melissa for a long time. And uh, I wasn't really too nervous, you know, like I climbed out on the strut and looked over and, you know, Cole's like just smiling and ready to go. Like it's some kind of a video game, you know? So uh, I personally didn't feel any any nerves. I'm not sure if Holly did or not, but, uh, you know, I felt pretty comfortable with the whole situation and, and being around the sport. I mean, I've been skydiving for 24 years, so, uh, and knowing Ben's history, you know, like I was super comfortable. And Holly, your lovely wife, jumping. Was, was, this, was this something you had to talk Holly into or was she pretty open to this idea also? No, nah, she, she, she was widely open to it. She was, you know, making sure that the boys, they knew that it was their decision. Um, and uh, super easy going, you know, so, and she's been around it forever, so. Sorry, DJ, you had a question? Man, I actually got distracted because your audio, we're all audio fine, and you look like a bad movie from my family and from my heritage. I, I look like a bad movie. Joke around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dusty, are you seeing it? He literally just moved his lips and then said What's something. happening? I don't know what you mean. Now you're <laughs> fucking with us. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> But it really is. It's a good second delay on your end. I don't know what it is. Um, now, I was saying I, I took my sister on a tandem and my most memorable skydive by far ever is taking her on a jump. And I thought I would be super nervous because she's my family. Mm-hmm. But I know my training. I know the people who've worked with me. I know the people who've trained me and I trust in their training and my ability to, to follow it. Um so I didn't have a lot of nerves. But what I had in the plane was joy, the moment under canopy, the 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 memory we share together really was a great time for my sister and myself. And I, I do not want kids. I call my, my wife and I consider ourselves non-breeders. Uh, no, no <laughs> desire to have kids, but speaking to Melissa, speaking to you, speaking to Ben, the only time I want kids is dude, how awesome is it to share this experience with your child? Oh man, it's, it's, it's a whole nother level. So it's, it's pretty awesome. So you can't answer this question almost any other way, but what's your favorite skydive now? Oh man. The person you've jumped with. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I have a lot of, a lot of fond memories with jumping with a lot of people. Um, but I met my wife. She was one of my students. I took her on a tandem. And so I've taken her on three tandems. And so that's gotta be the be number one. And then the other right below that is jumping with my boys. So besides all the other craziness, you know, that I've done and records and competitions and stuff, super awesome. But those are the top two for sure. I love that no matter how many badass things we do and you, and we've done a lot of them, you've done a lot of them and Nick's going to definitely get back to some of that. It ultimately comes back to love, love of the sport, love of family, love of people. And, and, my favorite thing about skydivers is that passion that you share for your family and each other. So that, thank you for sharing the story, man. I was super excited to ask you about your kids. Nick, you yeah. had something to say in your little delay? 
Uh, gosh, I had about a dozen different questions run through, so I'm just I'm just gonna pick. Um, I don't know how you got into skydiving, Dusty. Me. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where <laughs> where your first jump happened and uh, how you got into it. You know, that's pretty funny because I I grew up on a farm in northern Idaho, uh, about 20 miles south of Canada, where you would never think skydiving or anything right like it's farm life and mm -hmm. so i was in high school and i was racing motocross and i'm not really sure what instigated it to be honest um but there's a little place i, I think it's tico washington a uh, small little cessna drop zone and about a group of us of eight people or so uh for somehow we got it organized to go and it it was a good hour and a half drive down to the to the drop zone mm -hmm. um i was the only one that showed up <laughs> that's a familiar uh, for, story for one reason or another like i was the only one that showed up and so i went down there and and sat through i actually sat through uh aff class and, and i didn't do a tandem um and got weathered out and i think i went back and forth like three times before i got my first jump and then finally got my first jump. 182 drop zone though? Yep, yep. Just a little and 182. Did you, did you get into skydiving right away? Like did you start start doing AFF right after that? So I made that jump and then that was my sen senior year in high school. And mm -hmm. uh, I asked my uh, jump master like, where do I go to make a lot of skydives? And he said, you gotta, gotta go down to Eloy. Arizona and so I actually moved down to Phoenix for a year and made about 300 skydives down there mm -hmm. and then at, at what point did you come to Utah because that's where that's where I met you yeah yeah so I lived in Arizona for a year and I could not take the heat man the summer June July and August are terrible down there I don't know how anyone does it man I can't stand <laughs> it so um, I missed the mountains. I missed the snow. And so I actually moved back to Utah. Um, oh man, that was in 95 or 96. So, and, and so what was the skydiving scene in Utah? Like in 1995 or 96, <laughs> we weren't free flying. Um, <laughs> um, it was good, man. I was jumping out at Cedar Valley out, out at Jack's place and he had a, he had a DC three and he had uh and what else did he had? He had, some other plane out there and and i was a newbie and then i went to skydive salt lake um and they had a king air and this was an airport number two in salt lake airport airport number two yeah okay so and they, man they had an amazing crew and so i just kind of stayed there and and continued jumping there as i was skiing and going to school and different doing different things so um that was that was awesome how how long have you been skydiving when you started working in skydiving? Um, and I started doing, I never, I, I never was a packer. Uh, I don't know. It might've been five or six years into it before I started doing tandems. Okay. How many jumps did you have at that time? Cause it's like I mean, 500 jumps to be a tandem instructor. Now it's like people yeah. can do that super quick compared to what it was like in those days. Right. For sure. Yeah. I think I had almost a thousand, almost a thousand jumps before I became a tandem instructor. Did you, uh, 
miss being like a regular in rotation tandem instructor? You know, at this time, I think, you know, I, I could get back into it and do a little bit, but I don't like not full time. No. Um, it's just a lot of, it's, it's, it's physical. Um, it's kind of draining a little bit. Um, at least for me, it was, um, I think variety, like if I got back into it, I want to get my AFF rating and do video, do it, you know, be able to change it up a lot, do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, man, I just enjoy not, not really having to go out there to work. I go out there to have fun and, mm-hmm. and leave the work for the tunnel. So. Well, I, uh, I've probably shared the story on the podcast before, but not with uh, you present. Dusty took me on my first tandem. And I loved it, dude. There, like, I, I have a few like vivid memories. Like, I have the video, obviously, which uh, if, if anyone is listening to this who's not a skydiver by some miracle that we have non-skydiver listeners, you got to get the video. But um, I, I remember like looking down with my feet over the edge of the airplane. Like, I remember seeing my shoes and seeing seeing the world down there. I remember. And when I first, like, I remember you tapping me on the shoulders and I remember looking up and seeing the, the beautiful Utah mountains that were there. And I yeah. remember when uh, my video guy Lynn flew up, I still remember giving him a high five. But the thing that I remember most clearly is when the, <laughs> when the parachute opened and you, and you were yelling, you were going, fuck yeah. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, dude, this is crazy. I mean, I had such a positive experience with you as a, as a tandem instructor. I, you know, I don't know. Skydiving is awesome, and I love it so much. But I feel like you still had a huge part in my ability to fall in love with skydiving. Even the way that I don't even remember who you were talking to—the other tandem instructor that was on the other side of the caravan. But even just the way you guys talked about it, man, it was just uh, even before jumping out of the plane, I just felt like it was a place that I wanted to be. And you play a, a played a huge part in that. So thank you. Oh, and I am no really happy. Most people's like tandem instructors didn't end up being like some of the coolest guys in skydiving and you are one of the coolest yeah. guys in skydiving. So it's cool to have yeah. you as uh, as that tandem instructor. But I don't know if you remember this, I landed, I got back down. I met Ryan Scother in the same day. I was standing at the manifest desk talking to Suzanne saying like, Hey, I, I got to go again, put me on another plane. We're doing this again. And Ryan <laughs> came up and saw how excited I was. And he's like, Oh man, you, you got it. You got it. And then I did my second tandem that same day. And, uh, I think aside from maybe one Utah winter, this is now, this quarantine is the longest I've gone without skydiving since uh, since you took me on those first tandems. That's awesome, so, man. Th- thank you for being such an awesome tandem instructor, man. I don't know if uh, if my if my life in skydiving would be the same without you. Uh, what you. Uh, what were you doing for work before you uh, went to the tunnel? Because I, I have an, uh, a memory that you were doing something like professional. Uh, I was... Uh, I was working at a law firm uh, doing paralegal yeah, work, right. mm-hmm. uh, doing foreclosures, taking homes away. So uh, <laughs> not super fun. Um, but we, I mean, I, it was, it was a good, it was a good job for 10 years and, and, uh, and uh, gave me a lot of good opportunities. So. See, that seems like the sort of uh, job that a family man would have. Like I'm a responsible family man. I'm doing this, this law stuff. I'm making <laughs> real adult money. What was it like to go from having that sort of a job to working as a tunnel instructor? Man, it was, it was a kind of a big life changer. Uh, we only had one, uh, I think we only had one, we only had Aiden at the time. So there's just the three of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took a big, I took a 
pretty significant pay cut to go to the tunnel. Um, and so like the first two years I was kind of questioning, should I really be doing this? Should I be going back to the law firm? Should I, what should I be doing to make sure that I can make a living for our family? So, mm-hmm. uh, luckily, it, you know, a little bit of hard work and, and getting our name out there and stuff. It, you know, I, I make more than I was making there now. So, uh, uh, make a decent living doing what I love. So. And that's got to be a bold move. I bet that was a tough conversation with the wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a long one. So, so what what was your skydiving skill set like at this time? Uh, when, when, when the you, tunnel when first started, opened, yeah, when you started working on the tunnel, what 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 were your skydives like? Um, when I started working the tunnel, like I, I'd been free flying, I probably had a couple thousand free fly jumps. Um, obviously, I had uh, bad habits. Um, Bad form, bad habits. And, Were you bringing uh, some pizzas to the tunnel? Oh yeah, yes. all day long. <laughs> that, was, that, that was actually a hard one to get rid of, man. So um, that was a true, true challenge to get rid of the pizzas. So um, I'm, I'm, I was pretty fortunate. Like uh, Davey was our lead instructor at the time and kind of mentored me, and um, he knew that I had a lot of skydives, and so like. I, I didn't start head down on the net. He just, one day he just said, Hey, transition to your head. And I transitioned and pizza out and <laughs> started flying on my head. And I was like, Oh, that's not as hard as it looks. So, uh, but I've never that. said that about a single thing in the tunnel. Just so you know, the phrase, <laughs> it's not as hard as it looks. Never, ever have I said that. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So, so you, um, started, uh, the only reason that I ever got any good at skydiving is because I was on a four-way VFS team, which was inspired by your four-way VFS team, which was uh, Rockwell Airtime. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you remember what year you guys started? Uh, we only did that. Well, actually, we did a couple years. Uh, I think it was 2010 is when we started. 2009, 2010. It, I think 2010 is when you guys compete, competed, competed at yeah. Nationals. Yeah. yeah. So what... Uh, so, what sparked your interest in VFS or in four-way VFS especially? Um, you know, being around the sport a long time and watching uh, our Arizona Arsenal and SDC Standard and even Mandarin back in the day, you know, like um, even even going back and watching uh, Stevie Boyd and Trent and all those guys do some crazy stuff and, and, and watching them train and you know, now years later talking to Stevie, you know, I mean, they're doing a thousand training jumps a year or whatever. And, uh, to see the consistency of training and getting better as working together as a team. Um, and when four way VFS came around, I just, it, man, it looked awesome to me. It looked, it looked like something I wanted to do. It looked very physical, um, and challenging. So, uh, I was pretty fortunate surrounding yourself with good people like Devin Rowan and, and Kai Kai and Ryan Scothern and John Lee. Um, we just created a little team from Utah and thought we'd give her a shot and go to nationals. And uh, we, I think we only did like 60 training jumps, uh, but we did a lot of tunnel time. So it was pretty funny when we, when we got to nationals, like, they play the videos up on the screens after you, as they're judging them and they, everybody watches us. They'll watch us exit and we like blow apart <laughs> and, and then we come back together and we Turn do the like wind 20, speed up. 
22, <laughs> 22 points and just blew, blew advanced away, you know? And, and so um, we did not know how to exit an airplane at all. But uh, once we got back together and the wind speed got up there, we were crushing. So um, I think we still have, we still have one of the highest averages for sure in the advance. I think it was like 16, 17 points in average. So um, super fun, good crew, you know, those boys and are you, fun to have you, around. You guys made it look so much fun. Both uh, like I got to kind of hang out and watch your guys' training in the tunnel a fair bit. Cause we were, it's when we were all kind of starting to, to learn and seeing you guys, um, seeing the team dynamic in the tunnel, seeing how quickly you guys were learning seeing how cool it was to see you guys come out and do training jumps at the, at the drop zone and then yeah. uh, coming with you guys to nationals to watch you compete at nationals and just seeing the, that was my first uh, exposure to like the skydiving competition and environment and seeing you guys just, just crush it and have such a good time, man, that was, uh, that was super fun to watch. And it's uh, led you to some other VFS uh, awesomeness, right? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So you're on SCC core now. Yeah, I've been on uh, STC Core for about five and a half years, I think. So how did you start with that team? Um, so about five and a half years ago, uh, Jason Russell and Steph, uh, they came, came back from Dubai. They were on Nexus. Uh, they created Nexus out there. And uh, they came back from Dubai, and they had a tryout for a slot, a slot that opened up. And... Um, I flew out to Chicago and, and, uh, I, I'd actually known Jason and stuff a little bit be prior to before that, uh, and, uh, flew out and tried out and, uh, a lot of, I mean, and there's a lot of good talent out there and I'm sure a lot of good flyers, you know, tried out for it and I was fortunate enough to get it. So, um, yeah. So you guys do, do I mean, I've seen you be world champions in indoor skydiving out, out, out and real life skydiving. What, uh, what do you guys do more of? Um, our team, I mean, we've asked that question. It's funny. We sit around like competitions or when we're training and, and, uh, we'll have some students ask us, you know, if you guys had to give up one or the other, what would you give up? And, and we all, um, we're all skydivers at heart, man. And so, mm -hmm. uh, tunnel is a tool and it's super fun. Um, but we all love the sky. So we would definitely, uh, continue on with the skydiving, but luckily we don't have to, we don't have to choose, right? Like we get to do both, but, mm -hmm. um, we're definitely skydivers at heart for sure. Do you, do you have like accomplish an accomplishment or competition or, or anything that stands out as like what you're most proud of with that team? Um, man, just, Every competition, I think, is is what I'm proud of. I think we we surrounding yourself with with good people, uh, good teammates. Um, Jason and Steph have man for the last five years have guided me and 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 trained me, and I feel like I know my slot really well now. But um, being able to go into each competition with confidence and to uh, have the same goals and uh, Tra uh, the same training uh, process is, is what we all want to, how we want to train. Um, all the competitions are amazing. I think that 
Skydive Chicago in 2016, the Mondial there was amazing with Kai Kai. And uh, that was a good battle with Canada and uh, the French team then. So that one kind of sticks out in my mind. Um, but they're all awesome. You know, like each competition is different. Each competition has a different draw and different challenges. So in, in our team, we, we like to see like really difficult draws. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really technical draws because we know that that's something we can excel at. So, what what's your favorite thing to see in the draw? Like in a four way VFS dive flow, what's your favorite? What do you get excited about? Um, man, I like a lot of switchers. I, I think switching. Um, so switchers you you mean fun. things that that only turn one eighty and let you go different directions? Is that what you mean? No, like switchers, like uh, full switchers where. Uh, normally like a slot b slot and c slot slot so switchers slot switchers um just full switchers are awesome I, I love uh speed rounds like super fast rounds i think it was uh where were we we were the u.s indoor nationals we had a super fast round i think we got 63 points uh, in 35 seconds so uh, how many points was that uh, 63 points, I think 63, 64, something like that in 35 uh, seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a, that was a super fun cranking round. Um, and whoa. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> she, she just finished yoga. So she came in and plant one on me. Man, I want to pause right there. Just while there was a moment, I want to go backwards to the word slot switchers because I'm not sure if Nick actually knows the term slot switchers. Do you Nick? Gosh, I can imagine what it would mean of where I'm going to end up in my peace partner or cross partners slot, depending on, uh, on how it moves. I just, uh, the words, uh, I was thinking of like in VFS and like a, a two or a 12 where something, um, gives you the opportunity to either mirror it and go the opposite way or to fly the same piece with a different piece partner. So that's what I thought I heard when you said slot switcher. Yeah. And Dust, if you'll explain what a slot switcher is, just because a lot of our audience doesn't really know these words. Well, normally, um, like a slot switcher would be, uh, I mean, you could you could do a full reset, or you can go into like what a, a C slot would be, where um, it's uh, Nick. You use the word peace partner, right? Yeah, peace partners and cross partners, yeah. And I think essentially the, the idea is you're switching slots, so you don't have to memorize one skydive. You have to memorize basically two skydives said and done because you go back and forth from one skydive to the other and then back. True. Is that? Hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, if you wanted to, you could reset and just, you know, take that time to reset and go on, but um, to do the mental work and to – be a little bit faster with less transitions and then you'd take that and, and switch slots. Okay. And so when you say reset, meaning going all the way back to where your slot was and not switch slots to make it work anyways. Correct. Okay, cool. Sorry, man. It's, it's, I don't do a lot of formation skydiving. I'm a videographer background. I actually uh, did three-way artistic. Um, I was a video guy, so I didn't have to look very good at what I did. So, <laughs> I, uh, so it's a lot of terms that I have to get up you out with. I'm sorry, I didn't, uh, just a national interruption. You were saying, though, with the team and the, the progression, your, your favorite, some of your favorite meets were those slot switchers and whatnot. Yeah, those and, and the speed rounds are super fun. Um, 
the speed rounds are challenging in itself because uh, if you try and go too fast, you're going to bust a lot. And so if you, uh, you know, take your time and, and start off at a decent pace and kind of ramp up throughout that dive um, and maintain that pace and just not go to the point of too fast where you're busting and, and kind of cause chaos. So those are, those are super fun. God, 63, that's 63 moments that you're all acknowledging that built point and moving on and 30. Do you guys have a highest scoring uh, actual skydive? Um, no, I think to be honest, I think Rook, I think Mandarin still has that. Um, from the old dive pool, I, I believe Rook still kind of holds on to that. So, I, I, I want to say it was like 40 or something, 42. 40, I'm not sure exactly on the numbers there. How, how do you feel about the, the changes that have happened to the dive pool over the last few years? So this is going to be some VFS nerd stuff, but I still want to hear what you think about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the, the changes that have happened, I think, make it a little bit um, safer. There's a lot of the blocks that were a little bit more um, dangerous as far as uh, clicking heads together and stuff where mm-hmm. we – causes potential danger um i think vfs in itself is very difficult and so i think it's it's great to kind of make the dive pool a little bit easier so that it's a little bit more um accessible and, and and uh easier not to just blow apart in the sky and make it more successful is that the, did they change the 15, the, the bipole? The 15, the 15 changed. Um, the 20, the 20 was the, the one where the click, the heads were going to click together a bit. And, you know, when we were training the 20, when the old 20, uh, there's been a couple of times when me and Jason or, or somebody hit heads and we, and it, it about knocks you out. So, Ugh. um, the 15 was a little bit, that was, that just got changed up the 20, um, yeah so dude i still will never forget the moment that we were doing uh it was a third a carving 13 three in the tunnel i don't know whose idea that was but man so uh dj or anyone else who doesn't know what these what these points look like a three is is an accordion uh like a four-way accordion that breaks in the middle each piece does a 360 and then comes back together in the middle and then a 13 is a round and it's kind of a similar thing where the round breaks in two places the pieces turn to 360 and then comes back to the to the round. So someone had the brilliant idea of doing these two points while carving in the tunnel. And so you're still just like the whole world outside is moving so fast because you're carving and turning at the same time. So the rest of the world is just a blur. But you see all your buddies faces just laughing about how, you know, how silly and how fun this this uh, thing is to do. So that, that, that was a- I gotta say that was either Kai Kai or Devin. I think that that uh, threw that in there, and, and and we started doing that. That was super fun. Well, that was a, that was a genius invention. So we've talked about um, tunnel flying and skydiving a lot. How do you how do you compare the differences between the two, and what do you think makes like uh, someone who's a good tunnel flyer, but maybe don't have they don't have a lot of skydiving experience? How, how do they how do they get better at both? You know, you got to balance your time and effort into both, right? Like you, 
it's good to put the time and effort into the tunnel to learn the skills. Um, and, but then you got to go jump. And a lot of my students are like, they'll text me and be like, man, this just isn't making sense. I can't get myself into the correct position. And I was like, well, you, you need to have a coach. And I, and I think it's important to have a tunnel coach, um, along with a skydive coach. And, and so, you know, if you can have one in the same for, if you, in that location, that's great. But if, if you come to Utah and learn with us and then you go back to Texas or wherever, you need to find someone to, to get coaching from in the sky and to, how to exit the aircraft, how to get off the hill and, uh, you know, get comfortable on your head or upright, wh whichever you're working on mm -hmm. and, uh, convert that into the sky. Cause it, I mean, it's the same, but it's different. Right. And, um, I tell my students when they go out in the sky to, to really think about, uh, you know, tunnel flying, like tunnel body position, um, mm -hmm. and not just go back to the old habits. So, What's the most common question that you get from uh, from a student who's progressed well in the tunnel? They go home, they think they're going to be a badass at skydiving, and then something, something's not working. Is there a is there a most common thing that people come back and say to you? Um, I'm not, the only reason I ask is I'm just imagining my friends and my personal experience of learning to fly head down in the tunnel first before being able to fly head down in the sky. And then just getting out of the airplane and having no idea what to do until I'm going fast enough that what I learned in the tunnel starts to be applicable. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I mean, a lot of the students I, I just I see in the tunnel and, and only a few will reach out to me about the skydive stuff. So, um, yeah, I just mainly mainly see them and coach them in the, in the tunnel. So does, um, does SDC core, do you guys have like goals? Are you still, uh, you know, hoping to compete when this whole coronavirus thing blows over? Ah, for sure. Um, man, we're all kind of chomping at the bit, ready to train. Um, we actually had some lineup changes on, on our team. And so with the, the complete team right now, we actually haven't actually skydived together. Mm. So, um, we have myself and Jason Russell and Steph and Sam Lindell. And then, Oh, uh, John... Sam, uh, dude, I love Sam. He's such a fun person. <laughs> He's a right, huh? Yeah. Um, and then we have Johnny Gunn. Johnny Gunn's uh, on our team now. Is He's taking Jake Jensen's place as camera guy. So cool. um, we are all stoked, ready to train. Um, we're still scheduled to go to Russia for the Mondial um, in August. Um, it hasn't got postponed yet. Um, we're waiting, waiting to see if we can go to Chicago uh, the end of May and all of June to, to start training to get ready for that. Obviously, we've got to wait and see what happens with this whole virus thing. Yeah, um, they already postponed. We were supposed to be over uh, in Belgium in April for the indoor um, World Cup, and that I think it's in October now. So. We're definitely still a team. We're, we're waiting to, to train and uh, we still have, you know, competitions that we're looking for and, and uh, to go compete and, and get out and have some fun. I like to ask this question to anyone who we have on the show who's been part of a successful team. What do you think the pillars are, the, the most important parts of, uh, of having a successful team and being able to like 
keep a successful team together. Yeah, team life, team life, huh? Like it's uh, team life is good. It's you got to surround yourself with people that are motivated, um, same goals, same financial um, ability to pay for all this competition and training that we do. Um, you got to have someone that's almost like, you know, like best friends. You got to have people that you enjoy being around. Cause like when we go train, we, we train for 10 or 10 days or two weeks at a time. Um, and you gotta, you gotta want to be around those people. Cause if, if you don't want to be around those people, it's that team's not going to stay together very long. So, uh, surrounding yourself with, with good people, man. And the same, same goals. So, and that's and that's what I was hoping you'd say is is find find good people and you know you know like minded people people you can be friends with. I, I was just as you were talking, I was just kind of imagining like, you're super accomplished in, in different areas of of, uh, of skydiving, and I wondered like when you started setting goals, did you ever see? Like, I guess my 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 real question is, what are your future goals? Like, what what more is there for you than uh, than what you're currently doing? You know. I, I love world records. I want to continue being a, a part of the world records. Um, my goal is I love team life. Team life is to me is fun. I love training. Um, I'd love to be on SDC core and, and, you know, win 10 consecutive U S national championships mm -hmm. or, uh, win four Mondials or, uh, you know, just continue pushing ourselves and, 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 being a better team and, and it's challenging, you know, we're switching teammates up every once in a while and that's, that's kind of challenging. Um, but my goals are to continue on and compete and, and, uh, try and rank up as many titles as we can, to be honest, you know, there's a lot of good teams out there, Russia and Australia are training really hard right now and, or, you know, the last couple of years. And, and so we have some good competition coming out. Who do you expect uh, your, your toughest comp competition to be in the next few competitions? Um, for sure, for sure, Russia and Australia. Uh, by by far, um, they're both teams that we've been watching and they've been building uh, through the past years. Um, Italy has a it has a great team too. Uh, they they mainly they only focus on indoor stuff. They don't I don't believe they compete outdoors. At least I haven't seen them in any competitions. So. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, Russia and Australia and, and they're, you know, they're, they're eager. I think it's easy to, uh, not to lose the eagerness, but to get complacent when you're on top, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and those, those two teams are for sure chomping at the bit and ready to, ready to compete. And, and, uh, they're both really good teams. Man, uh, I get super jealous because you're a way better skydiver than me. But man, it's it's uh, it makes me really proud to have friends that are just doing uh, doing so much cool stuff, you know. Man, um, I, there's there's so many good flyers out there, and I, I wish half of this came to me naturally, right? Like I felt like the last twenty four years I've had to work for everything, and then I watched some flyers and like, man, they've been flying for like three years or whatever. Yeah, how do they figure it out so fast? Those bastards, <laughs> dude, it's crazy, like. Not going to name any names, but Ben Roan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep, he's he's there right. for sure. Man, I remember jumping on on 
his uh, 100th jump. And I was like, dude, I remember that jump at a Live Bigs event, right? You, you got to be kidding me, you know? Like, <laughs> dude, I remember yeah, him out, out face carving between two rounds on a head down big way at the 100 yep. jumps. 100 yeah. jumps, you know? And ridiculous. So... Yeah, it's kind of cool because I mean, I took I took Devin and Ben and CJ all on their first tandem too, and that's uh, cool, dude. That's super cool. See, you're just a, I, you're a good tandem instructor. You're good at sharing that passion, <laughs> man. I believe that. But uh, I, I made all three of those guys tunnel instructors too. Um, but it's yeah, it's, it's so you, know, you could make me one. I don't, I'm just saying, come to Utah. <laughs> but I, I got distracted. I'm not sure where we're at now. Uh, well, I wanted to actually, you said about being on the records as, as something that you had for future goals. Are you meaning like the, yeah. the head down, big way stuff? Head down, upright. Um, I was on, you know, back, I don't know, like three or four years ago, whatever, uh, when MX and Donna did the sequential down there. Mm-hmm. I love the sequential records. I, unfortunately, I just, the timing hasn't been good for me on, on the sequential records. But uh, the upright and the head down, I, I love it, man. I love seeing, to me, uh, I look around and it's kind of cool. I've, you know, I, I think the last head down record, I, I probably saw at least 20, maybe 25 people that I've coached um, mm-hmm. to get on their head. And then they've progressed that much more and, and got on their world record for themselves, you know. And so it's pretty fun to see all the people that you work with through the years and, and they achieve their goals at the same time as you're achieving more goals for yourself. So that's, I have never had an instructional rating in, in skydiving. And I think that, you know, with the limited amount of coaching that I've done, those, those moments of seeing someone get it and the reward that you get when you see someone else get a thing that you're trying to pass on to them, that's gotta be huge when you, when you see people doing records and stuff like that. That's yeah, super cool. Do you have a student in mind? Like your like your your proudest student, someone that really stands out. <laughs> it's not you, I don't Nick. Know. Stop kissing up. Oh, of course it's not me. That's obvious. I don't know. I don't know if I want to go down that route. But All right, fine. I, I, man, I won't make you pick favorites. There's so there's so many good students out there and, and man, we'd love having fun at iFly Utah. And the students really make it enjoyable, you know. They they come with good attitudes and good personalities and we have just a lot of fun and so man that I, I would hate to just choose choose one because they're awesome they're all awesome and I, I fly utah is such a good place man the people that you guys have there even just where it is like ogden's a beautiful place the mountains there are so pretty like there's good food around there's a goddamn bowling alley and an arcade and the <laughs> indoor surfing place like that yeah, that yeah. place is such a playground speaking of uh of utah instructors how, how's my boy brockton doing how's meaty doing He's doing good, man. He's super fun to have back in Utah, and he's working hard, uh, obviously, before the virus, and uh, he loves it. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a change for him coming back to a angry 12-foot tunnel compared to a nice, clean <laughs> 14-foot tunnel, but uh, he's doing good. He's, he's a good mix for the crew, so it's good to have him back. What's it like for you guys to, uh, to do dynamic stuff in that 12-foot tunnel? Um it's, it's tough. Um, I think each of us as instructors, like I, I, I'm more focused on the high speed stuff, Mm -hmm. um, and get people to transition on their head and then start high speed carving. 
Um, the low speed is it's doable. It's just it's such a tight tunnel. Um, we have two doors still, where most tunnels only have one door. Uh, we have two, and uh, you know they're just a smaller space, and it's octagon shaped compared to being round. So um, we do a little bit of slow speed uh, carving, but um, for the most part, like dynamic, we we focus on the on the layouts and then the high speed stuff, and and try and and uh, mix it up for them. Is is Reese still coaching with you guys? Oh yeah. Man, his freestyle, like watching him at different competitions that, you know, that I've uh, been lucky enough to, to like do video and stuff for, for, for iFly. Man, watching that kid fly is so fun. Do, do you guys have anyone that comes there like specifically for freestyle flying? For sure. Yeah. Um, obviously, Reese is a big name in freestyle. And uh, so we definitely have people come, come for uh, his instruction uh specifically and uh man he's 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 the cream of the crop man he's he's one of the best freestyle guys i've ever seen and it's pretty funny because when he was on a team with you back in the day team friendship you know like he was a 200 he was a 200 pound dude right like yeah he's a hundred he's 160 he's pounds and he's like gumby he's super flexible and so uh he uh he's super fun to watch he's super graceful and uh super talented man i remember and this is even a handful of years ago now i saw him at a competition and he's just doing side fly layouts oh and just <laughs> staring staring into the eyes of the judges and it was like i felt kind of bad like i felt like that these judges were like uh this was um an early skydiving or an early tunnel competition where the the judges were like straight up old school skydiver judges and it's like, man, the talent of what he's doing, like the, the, the challenge of this skill is totally wasted on these people. They have no idea that they're watching him do this impossible thing. He's doing these side layouts and just staring at the judges right in the <laughs> eyeball with a smile on his face. And it's like, yeah. oh, man, that's super, super next level. Uh, so we talked a little bit about your, uh, your VFS team, but that's not the only kind of team that you have going on, right? You do quite a bit of, uh, of uh, demo stuff. Yeah. Um, I've always been big into demos. I love demos. I love jumping into, uh, events. And, uh, so I've kind of ran a demo team for, and it's probably at least 12, 13 years, at least, uh, that we do demos. And I used to, uh, probably do about 20, 25 demos a year. Um, we've kind of cut it down a little bit just cause the, like I'm at the tunnel so much, but we still do student, do a dozen demos a year or so and and uh i love doing that stuff what was your first demo your very first time landing in a place that wasn't for skydiving oh man my very first that's probably like 20 years ago nick um trying to think that's probably a high school football game to be honest yeah you don't remember it very well i don't man the only the, the reason i asked is i remember my first demo real well and I was sure the moment I let go of the airplane, I was like, well, just did it and just killed myself. This is not going to end well. <laughs> like the, landing every, I, I've only done, you know, a couple dozen demos. And every time I land in a demo and you hear the cheer of the crowd and little kids run up to you like you're a superhero and the stuff that they say, <laughs> man, it's so rewarding. But the nerves of every, every time I jump, like before leaving an airplane, it seems like with most skydives, the, the moment that 
I'm out of the plane and my, and, you know, especially on a demo, once my parachutes open, it's like the, you know, it, it becomes my thought process just starts going on its own and you're just doing this thing that you've, that you've practiced. But the nerves leading up to that are, are, are not great for, for yours truly. <laughs> do you, do you still get nervous doing demos? Um, I enjoy them for sure. I get, for sure. I get a little nervous for sure. Because some, <laughs> some of the demos we do are pretty technical. Um, mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, we did a jump into the stadium of fire at the BYU stadium. This um, is a football stadium, right? Football stadium uh, for the 4th of July. And we, uh, we only get half the field to land on. And uh, we did this at night and they shut off all the lights in the stadium and they count us down and we exit over the stadium and there's no lights on the stadium at all. So we, we, we get out, we jump out and uh, in free fall and light my pyro, you can kind of make out where the stadium is and uh, coming around and trying to set up to come in to land. And, and I'm the first one to come in and they light up the field about 10 seconds before um, before I come into land. So, uh, super intense and super fun, lots of pyro. And, uh, again, a super good crew, you know, I had Jesse Hall and Marshall and, uh, Kai Kai and Jake Jensen on that, I think. So, um, that was, I, my heart was pumping for sure on that one, but some of them, you know, they're, I don't think I get that nervous for, but you know, there's, there's definitely some technical demos out there. So. How, how much planning do you put into a typical demo? Um, you know, it, it takes a bit of time, man. You know, I mean, obviously finding the paperwork with the FAA and getting the insurance and then meeting with the event. Um, depending on the location, you have to go drive and look at the landing area. Um, negotiating, that's part of it, right? Like spending time and negotiating uh, with the event as far as, you know, how much they'll cover. Um, organizing jumpers, uh, it's, a, it's, man, it's a process. It's a lot of work to be honest. And what, what is it that keeps you doing those demos? What do you like about them? Um, I love getting our sport out in, in front of, uh, people that have never seen skydiving, um, give them the opportunity to, to see what we do. And hopefully, you know, maybe some of those people will come out and jump or go to the tunnel and, uh, experience what we what we get to do for a living so what's what's the name of your demo team um well the company is compulsive flyers um but i'm that's I'm, right god i yeah i remember compulsive flyers god you have had that going for, yeah. for that long Jeez. i've had it forever yeah so I, yeah i don't know if it's 13 or 15 years or how long but um so it's compulsive flyers but it, i'm sponsored by maverick gas stations right now so um, everything I do is, is, is based for them. And that's what I was hoping that we would get to is that you've been someone who the entire time I've known you and seen you in Skydive, you've always had a fair number of sponsors. And I think you've always had more sponsors outside of skydiving than anyone else that I've, that I've known. And I wondered if you had a, a secret recipe that you were willing to share <laughs> with the whole world about how we all get those big sponsors, because I mean, skydiving sponsorships, um, you know, you're lucky if you get free gear is how most skydiving sponsorships go. You know, there's not a ton yeah. of money in skydiving uh, sponsorships. There's, you know, there's um, skydiving gear is expensive. So it's really great to get a deal or to be fortunate enough to, to get free gear. 
But big companies like Maverick, who's a, we don't have Maverick here in Texas, but it's a big, big chain of gas stations. Or uh, Monavi was another company I remember you having. But uh, Rockwell uh, watches. So how, how do you go after these big sponsors? What do you do? Man, I have a great wife that puts together some good proposals. And you have to be, I think all of us as skydivers, we know we have to be hustlers, right? We have to hustle. And I put my heart and soul into it. And I, I, tr I approach companies um, and I probably get shot down a thousand times, you know, before I get a hit, but, uh, mm -hmm. it's just hustling, you know, putting in the work and building up relationships. And sometimes they just kind of fall in your hands, you know, like Rockwell, they, uh, they had a corporate party at iFly Utah and I was their instructor and, uh, it just kind of fell into my hands and we, we had a good relationship and kind of built it from there. And, um, just being persistent and, and being positive and, and uh you know showing companies what you can offer them so i want to uh get you to park there just for one second because we hear regularly from newer jumpers who want to be sponsored who want to get involved with with just sponsorship in general uh i like where you're going with this what advice would you give a new jumper who's looking for sponsorship um you know it's it's all about giving back to you know, their needs as far as what that company is expecting out of you and uh, try not going, don't go into it thinking about what you can get out of them, but what you can provide them and make sure it's a good fit. Um, and, and you don't have to be a world champion. You don't have to be um, one of the best guys in the world or have a huge resume, but you know, you got to be able to offer them uh something that that they they really uh can use for either marketing or um social media or whatever it may be uh you got to be able to, to provide to them what they what they want so um it's it's challenging it's tough do you think uh so you say you've been shot down a thousand times for everything you've actually gotten a lot of new jumpers probably go into sponsorships hoping to get more than they get. What could you tell them for expectations? Um, it's kind of like anything else. I think setting goals and, and um, maybe, you know, start your standard just a little bit lower, maybe, um, you know, maybe start off in different packages that you can offer them and, and maybe not go into it, just requesting a huge amount of stuff and just start to build that relationship and nurture it. Right. Like, you know, just um, be happy with a little bit and, and, you know, when things grow and just let it happen. Man, it's it's uh, always interesting because it's a question I hear a lot from newer jumpers. I regularly get people asking me like, hey, what do I do to get sponsored? And uh, I love the advice. And more than anything else, man, be you for sure. Be you for real. Yeah, yeah. Um, something I, I uh, Nick asked us before we got started tonight is, have I got to meet you yet? And I, I tonight during our conversation have figured out why I don't know if I've met you or not. Cause Kai Kai, I've met Kai Kai. <laughs> and I have, now that I've just, met you, I know who the two different people are. Racist. Now, you think you all brown people look the same? <laughs> Happy brown There's, people that, from Utah. That's your girlfriend right there, bro. She's brown. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I just love your personality and you immediately stand out to me. It's like just such a genuine dude. 
And I think if, if you're going to try to appeal to any sponsors or to any companies, number one, first and foremost, be real. Miles Dasher. Yeah. Don't be Miles Dasher unless you're Miles. Because goddamn, his personality could be over the top if it was forced. But because it's Miles, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. wonderful, man. So yeah, I appreciate sure. that. What, what was Nick, your first you sponsor in, in skydiving, Dusty? Who was your first like skydiving company sponsor? Uh, skydiving company? Um, yeah, like manufacturer gear or anything like that. Uh, UPT was one of them. Um, and Vertical Suits. I've been with Vertical Suits for quite often, for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So um, those were the first couple, of, like that was uh, Rockwell Airtime was kind of, uh, we got some sponsors from uh, UPT and, and Rockwell. So, sorry, I'm just scrolling through uh, some of the comments here too. As you're as you're talking, just comments on the on the, the podcast uh -oh. so far. I love Donna so much, and she loves you a whole bunch. You should probably <laughs> tell her hello. She should probably talk talk for me because this I get more nervous doing this than anything else. So. Man. I, I always feel, I mean, I guess when we started doing the show, I would feel nervous like before we started. I'm like, man, what are we going to say? We're really going to talk for, we're just going to sit here and talk. What do you mean? What do people do? But then, you know, for, for most people and definitely for me now, it's like once, once we start talking to me, it just feels like we're, you know, we're just bodies catching up. Right. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. I'm still pretty nervous, but <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how do you know, how do you know Donna? Tell me about Donna Jean Jones. How did you guys meet? Oh, oh man. So uh man years ago um growing up i man just like watching everybody else like i and everybody knew who mx was and and so in the lodi sequentials and uh being a young jumper i was fortunate enough i think mx came out to utah and and i got to meet him finally and then kind of showed him our skills a little bit and got invited to an event in in uh to be honest, I can't remember. Donna would probably know better, but um, I'm sure it was at the Lodi Sequentials where I met her. Yeah, two, 2012 Lodi Sequentials is where I remember uh, when we had team friendship going. We were next to MX and Donna and their team in the airplane. Yeah, yeah. And we were just silly and loud, and we were literally <laughs> right next to them in, in the plane. Like yeah. everyone's, you know, serious, doing their handshake, breathing, getting in the zone. And we're a bunch of dumb kids. We don't know that we should be taking this serious. And so we're yelling <laughs> friendship and singing fucking songs in the, in the airplane. And so I you think that's, got, that's you, when. You guys got the whole plane yelling by the time you guys are done. with. We it. did. We did get the whole plane doing our handshake, which was, was a lot of fun. But that's how we, that's how we met Donna. And uh, I think Ben developed a relationship with, uh, with MX after that. And that's how, uh, we made it to uh, to to Lodi sequentials. I wondered if you had if you had known her before that or known MX before that. Man, I I can't remember to be honest exactly where it all fell into play. Um, she, she hope maybe Donna's listening and she can type in, <laughs> give us some details. But she was uh, listening earlier. Was, I'm not sure if she, if she's still watching now. What uh, then? Then we started the whole undercover ninja. Um, oh yes yes that's exact i'm looking at uh at a, a paraclete xp video right now from yeah, uh, undercover yeah. ninjas. tell so, tell tell the world about the undercover ninjas let's make them less undercover well mx and and donna um man they got a group of us together me and devin and ben and and reese and and uh just a whole crew and and we 
would go to tunnels and, and do do some filming and flip stuff, man. We like to flip mm-hmm. shit. So uh, we got creative and and, and uh, had, a, had a fun crew that just wanted to go rip and shred and get creative flipping pancakes because that's what we did. We flipped a lot of stuff. So um, MX is, is probably one of the best engineers as far as that goes is for, for designing dives. Um, him and Mikey Knight are just phenomenal, that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, it was fun kind of, you know, getting the group together. We I think we got together like once every six months or so. We'd go to a tunnel mm-hmm. and do six or eight hours. So then we took some of it to the sky and, and uh, had a lot of fun with it. How big were the groups that you were doing in the, uh, in the indoor stuff? Uh, a lot of the tunnels, the 14-footers, we would do six, maybe eight people, um, for sure six. And then we'd go to Paraclete and we'd do like 12-way stuff, 10, 10 or 12-way stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, God, when was the last time you did a, a camp like that? Like uh, some something with buddies like that where you just got to flip shit and be creative and have fun? So before this virus came out, we have we still have the tunnel time reserved over in Abu Dhabi. Um, oh my oh, god! I forget, dude. I forget that that's even a thing. Oh, tell, tell, tell people about Abu Dhabi that don't know who haven't heard. Well, I don't know much. I haven't been there yet. But well, it's, it's a, a thirty-two foot tunnel. Thirty-two foot tunnel, dude. And uh, we have a group of twenty-one or twenty-two ninjas ready to go, and we have. Yes. I think we have. 18 hours of tunnel time, something like that. Oh my God. <laughs> and so we are ready and willing and uh, just waiting for the chance to go find that 32 foot tunnel. When were you guys supposed to be there? Uh, we were supposed to be there uh, the first week in April. Man, so, I'm so sad that that footage doesn't exist yet. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, we're excited, man. It it's, should be fun once we get over there. Well, if you need you someone to uh, to tag along and throw together an edit for you, I know a guy. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, oh, yeah. do you guys have a video planned for this trip? Um, we, I mean, kind of what we do is we, I mean, we just get net mounts and door people stand in the door and do the filming, and then we put an edit together. Yeah, um, MX has always done such a great job with those, man. He's amazing. I can't that. wait to see um, him. But uh, to be honest, we're just we're excited to hopefully go over there and shred in that tunnel. So uh, I cannot wait to see this footage. I, I've been waiting and wondering to see like a big group in there and undercover ninjas. That's you guys will use that fucking space like the way it was meant to be used, man. That's gonna be so. Yeah. Cool. We've seen some, we've, we've seen some pretty cool, good uh, like I think twenty ways in there, uh, uh-huh. but I haven't seen anybody flip a twenty way yet. So we're we're ready for the challenge. <laughs> oh my god, dude. So that is insane to imagine to flip a 20 way. That's going to be great. Yeah. I can imagine just, I, one of my favorite things at Houston with live big is watching and sitting there, seeing Mikey or, or MX engineer a skydive. I've, I've sat there and just watched him develop his plan. And I'm like, how the, and I'm watching the flyers figure it out. And to watch these minds go engineer something in the tunnel with that space I, it's we're going to see some next level shit there's no doubt man <laughs> should be fun so i'm i'm scrolling through just a few videos on your on your facebook page just because that's the only way i even stock and know about my friends anymore um i'm looking at the sdc core 8 and 16 way sequentials are you guys still still doing camps like that um so we are um i'm not sure what the schedule is like i unfortunately i'm not able to 
to stay and participate with a lot of that stuff. Um, when I travel and train or and compete, as soon as we're done with that stuff, I got to head home and work. And uh, yeah. so a lot, a lot of that kind of falls on Jason and Steph. Um, Sam will be around, I'm sure. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I have to come home for that stuff. So if, if you were going to engineer your perfect skydive right now, like what would it look like? Do you want to just go on a rip on a two-way with a buddy? Do you want to do 16-way? Do you want to do a 200-way? Like what's, what's the coolest skydive for you? Oh man, there's so many cool things. Um, obviously a 200 way, uh, that we didn't get is something I really want 200. That's, that's such an amazing accomplishment. So looking forward to next year, hopefully, and, uh, doing that record. Um, I really enjoy, you know, like smaller groups, like four and eight way, to be honest, like, mm -hmm. um, you can really get creative and you can, you can, you know, you can flip stuff, you can do movement, you can keep track of where everybody is and be safe and uh, accomplish a little bit more where you start getting up in the 16 and 20 ways it takes time to build that stuff. So I, I enjoy the smaller stuff for sure. So you've been, were, were you on the 200 way attempts? Oh yeah. 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 Is, is that the most people you've been in the sky with at once? That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, Rue could probably know better, but um, our team kind of sits down with Rook and help, helps, uh, slot it. And, uh, mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how close we actually got 180 something, maybe together, mm -hmm. 100, maybe 190, but, and just seeing all those, all those people out in the sky and seeing the talent and the control and the patience. Um, it's awesome. It's, it's amazing to see 200 people out in the sky. What's the experience in the sky? I mean, like, take me through one whole skydive. Like, how long is the plane ride? What's oh, like, man. how long do you dirt? How long do you <laughs> dirt dive it for? Like, I, I just want people to understand a little bit more of the preparation that goes into a, a crazy jump like that. Yeah, big way, big ways in world records are really uh, time consuming for sure. Um, I mean, we spend spend an hour on the ground uh, debriefing and reslotting and dirt diving. Um, the plane ride is just under an hour, I don't know uh, if it's 45, 45 or 50 minutes in a plane. Um, the higher you get, you know, if you sit by the door, super cold. Um, so you gotta take blankets to try and stay warm. Uh, I remember, I'm not sure if it was the 200 way or the 164 way sitting in the, sitting in the hole of the otter with Ben Roan and we're back there with blankets, just trying to cuddle and keep each other warm. Um, so the plane rides pretty, you know, it, it, that's a lot of time in the plane. Um, and all that work is done and, and, uh, you know, you get about 50 seconds of free fall <laughs> and, uh, and then once all the parachutes open up, man, it's, it's amazing to see 164 or 200, whatever it may be, uh, sub 100 canopies, you know, flying and everybody landing in a, in a safe manner. So it, it's pretty awesome. How come when I see free flyers do a jump like that, all these small canopies come in so organized, but when I see belly flyers, I see a bunch of toggle whips. No one seems to fly a pattern. Everyone's cutting each other up. Why is that? Uh, I don't know if that's a question for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it's honestly a question that has an answer. It was just an opportunity to make fun of belly flyers. But, but to also yeah. add to, man, it, it is really cool to see on some of these big jumps, you know, a lot of small parachutes show up 
and uh, yeah. people can do a, a really a really great job of coordinating those landings. Yeah. I think so, it does. I think it actually speaks to the new generation of canopy pilots, not necessarily a new generation of skydivers, but people who are flying these more aggressive canopies have come to the reality that the parachute's not just a vehicle to land me to the ground. It is a, it is a fun toy. It is something I get to pilot and our discipline to learn that wing allows us to, to put it in like Nick said, such an orderly fashion, man. I love watching big ways just crush it. And then, I was thinking the same thing you said, Nick, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to say it, but man, these old crusty <laughs> you know I'll say, you know like, say cutting each other off. But man, these, these free flyers uh, on the sub hundred square foot canopies are making it look so organized and so structured and just kudos to everybody in that new breed. And, and there are old crusty belly flyers who are also in that new breed of canopy thought process and pilot. It's just, unfortunately there's some embedded dinosaurs that won't evolve. But I love seeing the canopy pilots out there do so well today, especially at these large events. DJ, you'll probably know who wrote the article. Stop turning. Is that a, a Brian Burke? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was Brian Burke. I know it's something that uh, I also teach. Uh, do you know the article, uh, uh, Dusty? <laughs> Names. <laughs> I've been up here. <laughs> Dusty, you know have you heard of stop turning? <laughs> Go ahead, Nick. Oh, uh, you, you go ahead. I, I think Dusty just said that he hadn't uh, he hadn't read it, but you were going to compare it to something else. I think. No, I was just going to explain what the article is, but you brought it up, so go ahead and tell me. No, you tell me. You're you're better at canopy coaching stuff than me. Come on, <laughs> man. First of all, I don't know uh, how completely true that is. I just have more experience doing it than you. I've seen you do some canopy coaching at the DZ with people who need help. Um, and, and I, hey, will encourage I can, you I can sound real smart to a person that knows almost nothing that I can do. It, that's the trick, man. <laughs> but I, I do want to throw out real quick. I see so many people yell at jumpers for the mistakes they make, whether it's like somebody flying in the tunnel with dusty who does something stupid or somebody who does something stupid in landing. And the thing that I hear from the, the Utah guys, I've never been to Utah. I've never trained with you guys, but tons of my friends have the things I hear about you guys, the things that I see from you, Nick, is that you don't get down on people you do go coach them you go teach them how to be better flyers how to be better pilots and that stop turning article by brian burke essentially says stop turning you need nothing more than 90 degree turn to land your parachute 90 degree turns in your pattern that's all you need our number one uh today fatalities are coming down with canopy piloting but for many years over half our fatalities are under perfectly good parachutes Fatalities occur because of turns. You turn into the ground or you turn into each other. It's rare that people collide straight on. This happened. <clears throat> so turns are our number one killer. So why, why turn your parachute anymore any longer? Uh, do no turns larger than necessary. Uh, nothing bigger than 90 is what Brian's propagating um, or proposing. I agree with him. I think uh, I, I'm pretty sure Dan BC has also pushed and promoted this. Most large events, uh, the big ways that Dusty are on, uh, require and mandate them. National events require and mandate them. And people ask me all the time, what, what if I need to do a big turn? Do a 360 to create vertical separation. I'm super down with. Uh, what if I want to spiral? If you don't think spiraling is fun, you're a pussy. But <laughs> do it on a hop and pop. Go to the right place. Go to the right time and, and have fun doing it. But don't do it on a jump with 23 other people in the sky or, in Dusty's case, 200 other people in the sky. So stop turning. Do nothing bigger than a 90. If you have to, no bigger than a 360 on a jump is, is the gist of his article. 
How do you feel I, I really about, like the perspective yeah. of uh, that same article. Uh, it's almost like the challenge of a skill of, of a skydiver, of a canopy pilot of can you, uh, you know, fly to your holding area, use the wind uh, appropriately and make the fewest number of turns possible. Do you have that in, in your skill set? And I thought that was a really cool uh, perspective to take yeah. on it as well. Do you guys know Tony Hathaway? Mm -hmm. Tony Hathaway, he is, man, at this point, it's showing my age a little bit. Dusty, we've been jumping the same amount of time, so <laughs> a little shocked you don't know. Uh, Tony was a, a videographer, still is a videographer, but had a pretty good name uh, back in the day, still pretty well known. If you've seen any of the old school Spectre carving uh, ads, it's almost always him carving a Spectre. Uh, Nick, you know my hashtag Spectre Thug Life. That's uh, kind of propagated by by Tony. That's, um, there's no such thing, but okay. Yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> um, but he would he would make it a goal to see how few degrees he could actually fly a canopy, how many few degrees he could turn. And his goal was to never make more than 120 degrees of rotation on a skydive. So. I can open up here and just aim that way, which will take me into the least amount of rotation or turn to get through through this jump to be as predictable as it could. Um, man, you can't get more predictable. I, I don't think we should all do what Tony did there, but you can't get more predictable than that. So, Dustin, you've had a, a long skydiving career. You've, you've done uh, how many base jumps now? You had a bunch when I when I knew you. Yeah, uh, just over. I don't know, 500, 550 base jumps. God, not man, a lot. That insane. That's a ton. What are you talking about? Oh, well, you got That's... people like Miles and those guys are 6,000 plus. So um, it's been, it's, it's been fun though. How did you start at base jumping? Um, man, just a small crew from Utah skydiving and, and then it wasn't really widely known and mm -hmm. kind of had to know people to get into it. So it was a little more underground than it is right now. A little more secret. Oh, a lot more secret. A lot more underground. And if you approach anybody, they're like, "No, no, I don't want to teach you." Or um, so it was interesting back then. And and uh, just uh, myself and one of my buddies went out to California for a base course and got accepted and went out there and went through the course and then uh, came home and started jumping everything. So super fun. What do you like about base jumping? I've never had an interest. Sell me on it. <laughs> I'm not really probably the salesperson for it, but um, it's not for everybody for sure. Uh, it's, um, it's super close to the ground. Awesome visuals. Um, just being able to hike up something and look off of it and run and jump off of it, man. It's, it's pretty amazing. I just did another jump off echo just uh, the other day and, and to be able to, you know, go and spend a little bit of time with a couple buddies, uh, seeing six feet apart. Um, <laughs> you know, we, uh, do the hike real quick and look around and see, see nature and see, you know, like see the cliffs around you and, and be able to run and jump and enjoy that moment with those people. It's kind of like a tandem skydiver any skydive to be honest you know to be able to share that jump with them and it's just a little bit different I'm, I'm not much of a like a solo base jumper i don't go by myself um i think for safety and for other reasons but i enjoy jumping with other people for sure utah did you have a question there a, dj yeah oh, utah sorry, I'm just interrupting. Be, uh, <laughs> yeah utah's a pretty good hotbed uh it's one of the few places in the u.s that's legal regularly 
Um, you just mentioned, I think Echo is the, the exit you just mentioned. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, how tall is that spot? Uh, just over 400 feet. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I would call myself a tourist when it comes to base jumping. I have a whole whopping five base jumps. They were at Perrine. Um, if I base jump again, not, I wouldn't say if for me, it's, it's a win because there's desire to do it. It would be Perrine. It would be super safe and legal objects. It's just not worth for me. I don't mind my friends who jump off an illegal object, but it's not my place to say condemn or deal with, but I have enough risk to mitigate. I have enough thought. I have enough emotion to control that I want those controlled exit points so I can control myself. The most control I have, the the, the safer I'll pull it off. And, and my other goal besides prime would have been some of the big walls in, in Norway, Switzerland, stuff like that. But the way you describe it, man, to, to make this hike, to climb off this, to, to walk to this edge, to look at this cliff and then just run off of it. How how accessible is base jumping in Utah and base jumping schools there? Oh man, um, man, the boys up at the, at the Prine, it's like two two and a half hours away. Um, a lot of good uh, base schools up there. Jesse Hall, um, one of my close buddies, is is starting a school himself, and he's probably <clears throat> he, I, I think he's got like four thousand base jumps or so. Um, but there's so many objects in Utah. Moab, Moab's the Mecca, right? Like Moab has so many cliffs to jump off of uh, that are legal and accessible. Um, but even, even on the Wasatch front up here in the Salt Lake area, we have uh, cliffs all around that are uh, jumpable for sure. In the Prine, I, mean, we can, I, I just ran up to the bridge for a day trip with Scotty Freeland and uh, ran up there and jumped off of it uh, four jumps and then came home. So um, super accessible. So we have a lot of new skydivers that, uh, that listen to our show. And I think it's smart to scare anyone out of base jumping before you allow them to, to start base jumping. What do you think are the biggest, uh, like the biggest differences in safety between skydiving and base jumping? Um, man, packing and canopy control, you know? And, and so I think, I think it's a really good idea for young jumpers to get skydives and get good canopy skills, maybe take some canopy courses like everybody should, um, and become really familiar with their parachutes. And then, uh, you know, when they make that choice, um, spend a lot of time at the bridge. Don't, uh, don't go jump off cliffs and other objects that have walls that you have to, to, uh, kind of worry about where the bridge is pretty wide open and safe. It's got a nice river, uh, down at the bottom with a huge landing area. So um, take take your time. Those objects aren't going anywhere, right? So uh, I think base jumping, you can you can take your time and and uh, be patient, you know, and don't don't rush into just being Miles Dasher of you know this, you know, like take your time. So DJ, you had a question there before I interrupted you. No, man. I was just going along with the ride. <laughs> so one, one thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, Dusty, while we were on, uh, I kind of skipped over this. We were talking about those big ways. Y you've been on the, the head up big ways as well. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. What, what are, the, I, I honestly, I just don't sit fly very much. I'm not great at it. When I started jumping, it was like, you know, head, head down VFS stuff is just where it was at. And uh, I, that's my problem. My biggest envy about uh, tunnel instructors is how much time they get to spend uh, upright in the wind. You know, although you, you don't have a rig on, but 
um, still get all that, that time standing in the wind. What are the biggest differences for you between doing a, a head down uh, big way and an upright big way? Man, the, <clears throat> the upright big ways are pretty challenging. Um, head down, we're, we're building the kind of like the belly fires. We do the umbrella where the upright, mm-hmm. we're kind of building a stadium and the fall rate is super slow. And mm-hmm. uh, all the, all the upright records and big ways that I've been on is the fall rate is pretty slow. So I'm, I'm a 190 pound guy, so I'm flying as big as I can. And uh, I was talking to Steph, my teammate. I was like, "Man, is this that slow?" And she and she was struggling a little bit, and she's super tiny compared to me. So, um, you know, the fall rate—you got to really be be ready to to fly super big and super slow, and and uh, still stay strong. So, uh, that's the biggest challenge I think is 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 the fall rate. As far as like walking the jumps, like I'm so used to walking formations head down and kind of having that flip in, in visual that happens. Yeah. Is that, uh, is that different with walking things upright? For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just like walking stuff VFS. Like we all walk things a little bit differently. Um, some people want to know uh, they walk it with the correct grip or they want to walk it with the correct visual. Uh, so whatever makes more sense to you for sure. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely challenging for sure. Do you have, I don't know if I asked you this question, maybe DJ did ask you this question. Do you have like a favorite skydive? Like when you just think about like, man, I can't believe that just happened. Is there, is there one skydive that comes to mind? Well, I brought that up and, and I threw out the, taking my wife you, on the tandem. Well, your wife and your kids. And I can kids. see that. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine kids like, I mean, I'm still a child. I'm 34 and I'm still like, I'm still afraid of getting kidnapped when I walk down the street by myself. You know, like I, I, I just can't relate to the, to the feeling of, uh, of being a parent. What, what about like the, the most beautiful place you've jumped the place with the craziest view? Well, uh, going back to, uh, mama Donna, she organized a trip over to Hawaii and, uh, we went out there with some of the undercover ninjas and, and uh, did some jumps out there and and the view out there is amazing. So it's good to hear that they're, uh, seems like they're staying in business, I guess. They, I think they, they made some progress as far as not shutting that airport down. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's beautiful out there. Uh, Devin, Devin and I actually had the opportunity to go out to Dubai and jump over the Palm uh, with Kai Kai's team. Uh, mock mm-hmm. team back in the day dude i still there's a video of you guys all smiling and nodding your heads in a big round <laughs> and that, that's one of my favorite videos what so, uh, that that was when kai kai was on the princess team right yeah yeah so you guys were just out being being personal guests of the prince of dubai is that how that went down <laughs> kind of went down yeah was, uh kai kai kind of rounded us up and gave us that opportunity and so we went out there and had some fun that was when things were still really good for skydivers in Dubai, right? When it was still like oh, fairy tale good, right? Yeah, yeah. How how much time did you get to spend out there? Uh, I think Devin and I went out there for two weeks, nice. just under two weeks, maybe. So mm-hmm. we got to fly a lot of a lot of time. That was before any of the other tunnels. So we flew in the Princess Tunnel, and then we would. <laughs> um, hey, hang on! I just got to go to the Prince's house and fly in his personal <laughs> tunnel for several hours. Just, just hang on. That was Kai Kai's life, man. <laughs> yeah, that's wild, dude. That's so wild. Yeah. Did, you, did you get to meet the prince while you were there? 
so he was actually where the, the tunnel was or is, um, it's kind of his compound of fun, I guess. And so his uh-huh. gym's there. And so he pulled up and was going to the gym. And, uh, so we, we kind of saw him from a distance, but like he had his bodyguards and all the people around him. And yeah, I wondered uh, how like friendly he would be with the skydiving groups there. And I think he was super friendly with, um, you know, with, with the crew that he had, you know, like Kai Kai met him and I think Jason and Steph and Kai and Timmy, all those guys went out on his personal yacht and, you know, like, um, a lot of good opportunities. Um, but for sure, I think he's, he's, he's got a big role over there. So, um, meeting a couple guys from Utah, is probably not his top, top, top list. So. <laughs> Whatever, dude. He, he was afraid. He was intimidated to come and talk to you. That's what, that's how that went. Yeah. He, he was talking to his bodyguard. He's like, Oh yo bro, that's dusty Hanks over there. Don't say anything. <laughs> Yeah. So Prince was a big fan of skydiving, wasn't he? Man, what I know, like I only hear stories um, from my teammates, Jason and Jason uh, was the CEO of Skydive Dubai. And um, I think the Prince, like he flew a lot in the tunnel. I think he had a couple thousand skydives, I think. Um, So yeah, yeah, he was a big fan of it. Yeah, it was, uh, that's why Dubai got such a big skydiving scene is like when, Dude, if President Trump was into skydiving, we'd all be skydiving right now. It's just that easy. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I really believe he actually might have known who you were. He might not have known you were there at the moment, but there's no yeah. doubt somebody with his his desire to chase a sport knew who you were. And I had no clue. I've got a lot of friends who work there, but I didn't know Jason was the CEO of the of the drop zone or the tunnel. Did you say the tunnel? I uh, he was he's the CEO of the the skydiving center, the drop zone. I had no clue, man. I didn't realize that. Dude, it, it, it was an amazing playground that was going on for a while. Yeah, yeah. Nick, yeah, you I was so jealous of those guys. Oh, I was just the the whole Dubai scene when it was blowing up, and you know, it seemed like skydivers were having it way too good out there. It kind of seemed like one of those things that couldn't last forever. So I wasn't surprised that when you know the the prince's interest in skydiving seemed to to relax a little bit, that things uh, seemed seemed to have changed, but. I just don't think that you could pay skydivers like your average skydiver, like skydiving instructor. I don't think you can pay those people salary and expect them to still be like as good at doing their job. You know, I think you got to have that that incentive to, to to make them work hard. So it doesn't doesn't surprise me that that wasn't a, a sustainable platform for them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what's uh, what's next for Utah Tunnel Camps, man? You guys got any any other new people coming along, or are you guys just uh, man? We're like just waiting for instructors. We're wa- ah new instructors. Um, we have a local. His name's Dave Manoa, and he's uh, he's jumping out at Skydive Utah. Um, just kind of waiting for the green light to go back to work, and I'm going to start training him up to be an instructor. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as coaches go, like we're we're kind of setting right now. As far as coaches. Uh, with myself and Reese and Hamish, Argyle, um, Jesse Hall's uh, stepping away from us. He's he's gonna go out and pursue more uh, bomb squad, GoPro bomb squad event, like base jumps and kind of live playing with his toys for a bit. So he's he's that leaving us exciting. at this point. That's a, that yeah. sounds like an okay thing to pursue instead of being a town coach. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it was good for him. I think he he gave us three years of of you know time at the tunnel, and he he's an amazing guy, an amazing coach, and 
I think he's going to start some base courses up at the bridge. And, um, so yeah, we're just waiting for the green light, man. I got all kinds of students waiting for me to text them to say, Hey, we're open. Come, you know, come fly, schedule some time. So, what, what day did I fly Utah stop, uh, stop flying? Um, I, I think March 14th is when I stopped. So it was March 15th, okay. I think, or 16th, something like that. What, what are your personal feelings on the whole, uh, you know, quarantine and, and the virus? How, how, are you, are you nervous about it? Are you afraid? Are you scared of getting sick? Like, how do you, how do you feel? Um, you know, in, in our industry, you know, it's, uh, a lot of close contact with people. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, hard to spot someone and, and keep social distancing rules. Yeah. Yeah. And my daughter has a bad immune system. And so it, it makes me a little bit nervous because I don't want to bring it some home, even though it, mm. I, maybe, maybe I get through it fine, but, uh, she definitely has a bad immune system and Cole has a bit of asthma. And so like, I'm not sure how that'll affect him either. So it makes me a little bit nervous there, but, um, mm. And I, I think it's no joke. I, I think I think the virus is serious. And obviously, I mean, you look at New York and Italy and all these other places that have had thousands of deaths. Um, so it's it's a it's a tough situation for sure. Yeah, my mind goes so so far back and forth over how I feel about it because it's like the 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 numbers that you see in in New York and in Italy and these places with you know really high population density, especially. Um, People with, uh, you know, lots of smokers like in Europe or in, or in New York, places that there are really high levels of uh, public transit. People are crammed in there real close. Those are the places that seem to have the most uh, problems. But um, so so when I start to think, ah, maybe it's not so serious, then I think about that. And then when I think about how bored I am and how bad I want to get back to real life and skydiving and having fun with my buddies and giving high fives and hugs. It's like, how oh, is it really so bad? Like, let's just give it a shot. So yeah. I don't, I don't know who's going to talk me into believing which thing, but, but it surely goes back and forth. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't really spend a lot of time around, uh, you know, my family's in Utah, my mom, like I'm not, I'm not worried about getting mom sick. I'm not worried about, um, I'm, I don't spend a lot of time around people that I would worry about having a compromised immune system. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be okay if I, if I get it. And so I don't know if that's, um, is that selfish for, for people who, who think and feel that way to want to try and get back to life as much as they can, or is the right thing to do to just continue to hunker down and, you know, keep waiting until this whole thing blows over. I, I don't know what the right thing to do is. And I don't know how long any of us can sustain our lifestyles before we got to start, you know, making money somehow. I don't know what the right answer is. I don't think I've, heard anyone come out with that with that perfect answer yet but it seems like right now we're just going to keep waiting for sure I yeah. think I think the risk is crazy because right now the thought process of I'd rather hunker down longer than necessary to be safe is one school of thought and another is like man we just need to get out and it's going to be okay no matter what and I, I think the in-between is really a responsible group of folks and, th and this is god fucking asking a lot asking society in general to be responsible if people <laughs> could go out for the next two three weeks you know starting may 1st is when a lot of states open back up and say hey let's go out and let's act responsibly let's wash our hands let's do this let's do that let's let's wear mat whatever man work in those responsible ways and and people who are in high-risk environments my father has high-risk exposure his age 
Number one, number two is natural health issues. So he, he shouldn't be around it. Uh, people were going home to kids with, uh, with sick kids. You, you've got to be careful. But those of us who are young and healthy like Nick, I'm going to say mid-age and healthy like me, <laughs> look at them guns, son. Uh, They're looking all right, my quarantine guns. Yeah, I, I think if the world opens back up a little bit at a time, man, what if the world opens up this little bit and then two to three weeks from now, we're going to know because right now we're playing the guessing game. We need some actual, let's give it an effort and see what happens. Um, and, and man, I, I just don't know. Nick, I've been, I've been with you. It's like, I'm more on the conservative, like, man, I'm, I'm, I'd rather take too long. And you've been on like, Hey, I'd rather get going. Yeah. I'm ready to, I'm willing to take the risk. I really feel like I'm, my personal situation, I feel like I'm more, I'm less at risk if I take that risk. I mean, if I get sick, I'm probably going to live. And so I, I'd like to, to roll dice, but I understand for, for older folks or people who are in really close proximity um, to those older people or to younger people that have compromised immune systems, I totally understand those people's um desire to to continue social distancing to continue the whole stay at home thing but like i i just wonder how how long how long can this go on before you know the economy small businesses people in general just can't sustain it because like man the the rent due still or the the rent is still due at the end of the month and i I know i'm not the only one who's who's worried about it coming so i i just don't know how long it can go on how long can we continue to play it safe for And and i understand the frame of mind when someone says like, hey, we can't do anything. We just have to protect everybody. We just have to stay safe. But um, I think that that's good to a point. And just like an overprotective parent, I think you can be too safe. Like I think you can try and shield someone from um, a threat um, so much so that it, that it keeps them from you know, experiencing life if we're talking about an overprotective parent. But it can, it might, that thought of let's stay safe, I think could make it go on for, for too long. So I am happy to uh, try and find a balance with that. But uh, I, I'm i pretty certain that the first day that anyone says I'm allowed to go to work and jump out of airplanes, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be the first one on the load. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing you know how to work the manifest software. Darcy, what about you let's say the world opens up tomorrow with your situation are you going to be straight back at it are you going to give it time to assess uh so we've actually um as i fly utah we've we've had a few team meetings and we're going to try and open slowly and uh once they once they give us the go ahead um i'm not sure what that truly means at this point we've talked about a couple different options um oh uh, we can still hear you though you can still hear me yes sir he's calling okay uh we've talked about a couple of different options and uh maybe just having camps where we can really monitor and close the doors and uh you know really know each person's um if they're sick or not, or they're not getting a whole group of 50 people in the, into the tunnel area. Um, we've talked about that. We've talked about limiting to small groups, you know, six or less for first time flyers. And, uh, you know, we've talked about for sure our, um, policy as far as cleaning and disinfecting is going to change. We're going to be, be way more active as far as, uh, wiping down all the counters and wiping all the, you know, 
making sure everything's super clean. And so, um, and we have a couple of different options and my personal thought on it, I'll be a little bit nervous for sure, just cause my kids, but, um, like Nick said, man, I, I got to put food on the table. I got, I got mouths to feed. I got a mortgage to pay. And, uh, so when, hopefully when the government, we trust them and, and once they say to open and we open slowly and maintain some social distancing and, uh, hopefully everybody cleans and washes their hands more often and, and uh, we all stay safe and maybe we can get back to a different normal. I don't think it's ever going to be normal again, right? Like it's going to be a different normal. I don't know how many high fives on the plane I'm going to give. I normally don't give a lot anymore. Like, uh, so we'll see. Yeah. And I, and I don't, I'm not trying to say of like, Hey, I'm going to go back to real life and disrespect all these rules and yeah. not care about social distancing. Like, I'm expecting to wear a mask if, if we open back up. I'm expecting sure, that, yeah. you know, people are going to have their temperatures taken when they show up. You know, we're going to have to do more work with uh, crowd control and making sure that we're keeping those groups small and making sure that we're, you know, wipe, wiping things down. That We can do as much as we can still do to, to keep each other safe and keep from, from spreading this virus until they, until they get a vaccine or until the, um, you know, until we develop this herd immunity or whatever it is. But, um, so I'm not saying all, all, you know, no holds barred. Let's just go back to, to how life was. But I think that we should start making some steps towards uh, whatever life's going to be. For sure. Man, I hate to, man, this is, I like where this conversation is going, especially some of the descriptions you guys are giving I, to I, assess what's going on. I did promise on. Dusty we were going to have him wrapped up here by 645 his time, which is just about that time. And that is okay. exactly where we're going. So Dusty, <laughs> I know you've got other things you've got to do tonight. So as we, we get off here, anything you want to share with our friends, our family watching? Man, I just uh, miss flying in the tunnel with all of our students, and I'm sure you guys miss flying in the sky with your guys' students and your guys' crews, and let's all be safe, and let's get back in the sky. Man, thank you so much, Dusty. I promise you next time you're in town, please come do this in the studio. It is really much more laid back. We'll, we'll, we'll kick back <laughs> on. We've got chairs, recliners. We make it super easy. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Uh, I'm going to have a beer when we, when we do it in person, all right? I'm going to get <laughs> drunk. Because it's so good to see everybody <laughs> guys and gals thank you for tuning in next week grab lab radio we will be back we will be back live we will be back in person mr p and i are going to be talking this week about what we can do to have a show in person nick i uh dusty love you brother great show but we got to do this in studio Dude, again buddy. Th thank I'm you so resonant. much man it was it was really great to catch up with you buddy thank you guys, so then, guys grab lab radio blue skies we're out take care bye, bye.